Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm your host, CEO Dan Mary Ashen. Thank you for spending some time with us today. Hope you're staying home, wearing your masks, washing your hands, and generally taking good care of yourselves. My guests today are Omri Nachmias and Alan Schneider. Omri Nachmias is the Jerusalem Post's Washington correspondent covering U.S.-Israel relations, Israel-related legislation in Congress, and the 2020 presidential election. In his role, Omri maintains relationships with senior White House officials, members of Congress, and Israeli diplomats. Before joining the Jerusalem Post last year, Omri was Walla News Washington Bureau Chief, covering the 2016 presidential election. He previously covered the Knesset for Walla News as their political correspondent for six years, during which time he gained a keen understanding of the inner workings of Israeli politics. Alan Schneider is the director of the B'nai B'rith World Center in Jerusalem, which serves as the hub of B'nai B'rith International's activities in Israel. Under Alan's leadership, the World Center has become the key link between Israel and B'nai B'rith members and supporters around the world. Alan has developed many important relationships with members of the Knesset that are essential for the center's work and has been instrumental in arranging missions to Israel for UN diplomats and members of the European Parliament. He's also a founding member of the Committee to Recognize the Heroism of Jewish Rescuers during the Holocaust, which was the theme of the recent Yom HaShoah commemoration. In our conversation today, I'll be speaking with Omri and Alan about how Israel's rival political leaders, Prime Minister Netanyahu and Benny Gantz, came to an agreement to form an emergency unity government and the details of the agreement. We'll also discuss the events leading up to this agreement, including three straight national elections, as well as the short-term and long-term implications of forming a unity government as Israel confronts the outbreak of the coronavirus. So, Alan and Omri, thank you for joining me today. Great to be here. Thank you so much for hosting us. Yeah, well, we're talking, you know, today, uh, Yom HaZikaron is literally starting, beginning in Israel, as uh, we're having this uh, conversation, which is the day to commemorate Israel's fallen um, in all of its wars and its war on terrorism. Um, and, of course, the day after uh, will be Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israel's National Independence Day. And um, so as we see that as a backdrop, uh, we'll begin our discussion about a national unity emergency government. So, Omri, why don't you kick this off by telling us uh, where we stand today, and um, then we can talk, Alan, get your, your take on this as well, and then we'll talk about uh, possibilities and options going forward. So, I think that today we are much closer to have a unity government than we were like three or four weeks ago. However, we are not quite there yet. There are still a few gaps between the two sides and a few legal challenges because uh, having forming this new uh, idea of uh, emergency government when you sworn in two heads of uh, two prime ministers at the same time in the Knesset and 
anchoring a situation, a legal situation in which you decide the date that the second prime minister is going to serve is something very complicated that never been done in Israel and requires a few steps of uh, legislation that is now taking place in the Knesset. And at the same time, it's also being challenged at the Supreme Court. And I think that, you know, both Netanyahu and Gantz are pretty suspicious to each other. They wanted uh, to join forces and to join to this emergency government, but I don't think they trust each other yet. And therefore, you see this really unprecedented document that really anchoring each and every scenario that could happen during the next three years. And by the way, it's going to be a government only for three years and not for four years, which is also something unprecedented. So we're facing something, you know, uncharted territory. Uh, but in many aspects, it seems like that we are way closer today to have a new government than we were like a few weeks ago. But Alan, this is, even with all of the difficulties, this is something that, that most Israelis wanted. They've been through three elections, been through a lot of back and forth over a year. And so how, how are the Israelis reacting now uh, to, I mean, is there some impatience? Because uh, this is something really that most people want. Yeah, well, uh, there is a lot of uh, impatience, I think, uh, and only touched on the point here that, that it's a very delicate agreement that's coming together, and it's not clear if it will be allowed by the court even to pass, and also what the position of the attorney general will be regarding, uh, regarding this agreement. And so the, there's still a lot of pieces in play. I do think that there is uh, that the, the detail of this agreement shows how much distrust there is between Benny Gantz and, and Benjamin Netanyahu. You're not going into this uh, with uh, a lot of back slapping and hugging and, and trust be, between them. So um, I, I think we're looking at a very tentative um, uh, kind of situation uh, where um, we, Netanyahu also has not yet brought in one of his main coalition partners, which is Yamina. And what role they will play uh, in, in the uh, the upcoming coalition? So there are a lot of pieces uh, that still need to fall into place before this uh, actually becomes um, becomes a reality. So even in the court, with all of the the adjudication of these issues, uh, people are still talking about uh, forming a cabinet and uh, handing portfolios. And and one of the the aspects of this agreement is this large number of cabinet members. And I know there have been Israeli cabinets in the past that have been quite large to accommodate the, the political needs of the parties involved in a, in a coalition. Uh, but here, I think we're talking about, um, perhaps you can help me with the numbers, I think in excess of, of 30 cabinet members, and then there's a deputy. 32 cabinet members and 16 deputies. 16 is, deputies, know. so we're yeah. talking 48 out of 120. So you have a lot of positions here. Um, yeah. but that's of course. That's of course because uh, you, you know, e even though uh, Netanyahu will have a much bigger part of, of the cabinet of the government, uh, still they agreed. The, the principle is that they will there will be parity in the number of ministers and deputy ministers between the, the Netanyahu's block and Gantz's block, uh, and so that is also. Uh, filtered into this um, a problem that they have in, keep, in maintaining that parity of ministers and deputy ministers, even though uh, in the Knesset, the voting power of both blocks are, are very different. Uh, and Netanyahu will have you know, double the votes in his block than, than God's. So Omri, um, 
there are the those cabinet positions that that uh, those of us in the diaspora, of course, know best: uh, defense minister, foreign minister, finance minister, justice minister. Basically, I think those are the the main portfolios that we see from here. Um, is there um, are there clear favorites uh, for um, the holders of those positions? So, from what we know now, it's really interesting. Uh, the, the way they decided to divide the portfolios between the two large parties. First of all, there are going to be a few check and balances, which mean uh, Avi Nissan-Cohen from Blue and White is expected to be the next justice minister, which is really like a really important position and also gives him a seat on the security cabinet. However, they decided that on uh, key appointments, you will need uh, agreement from both Netanyahu and Gantz, and it's going to, to stay the same way for the next three years. So uh, Nissan Korn is expected to be justice minister, and they're talking about uh, Gabi Ashkenazi as the next foreign minister. However, there is some public pressure brewing about health ministry in this, you know, this uh, coronavirus pandemic, and after uh, the current minister, Yaakov Litzman, made clear that he's not going to stay in his position and he wants to pursue the housing ministry. Uh, there are people who are making the case Then, if it is in fact an emergency government, blue and white should take health ministry. So we don't know exactly how things are going to play out, but as of now, Gabi Ashkenazi is expected to be the foreign ministry and also blue and white are going to hold uh, a number of other key positions as communication ministry and we should note that they handed two um, uh, cabinet positions to labor party who on uh, which on on sunday voted in favor joining the government and they signed their coalition agreement with benny gantz uh, so it's very delicate situation you have only 12 uh, cabinet positions to give to Likud ministers. Uh, many of them are expected to become ministers in the next government, so we don't know exactly who is going to fill each position, and we know that many of them, you know, are certainly expecting Netanyahu to appoint them, so the next few weeks are going to be pretty tense in Likud. Alan, any, anything on that point? Well, um, regarding the, the health ministry, one of the um, candidates who's been um, raised as, as a possible minister is Ayala Chaked, the former justice minister, and that that would be the way of bringing, uh, now that, now that uh, Litzman has uh, bowed out of that position, that one way of bringing uh, Yamina into the coalition would be to offer that position to Ayala Chaked. Uh, so there's a whole musical chairs that's going on. There's, of course, also the the uh, role of ambassador in the United States and at the UN, both positions that are that are up for um, new appointments. Uh, so it's not impossible that some of the sitting ministers now would uh, go to fill those posts uh, in in the United States. So, what's your guess going forward on uh, when this will begin to to gel? When will this all come together? Uh, we're we're here now and having you've had discussions now for a number of days since it was first announced that this was going to happen. What do you what do you see uh, in the in the near term? So the you know the schedule is pretty tight. They have only about fourteen days or so. Correct me if I'm wrong, Alan, to form the the new coalition before you know we are heading 
automatically to a new round of elections, which as crazy as it may sound, it's still a possibility that we'll face a fourth round of elections if they're not able to finalize the agreement by then. Uh, so we have a very tight schedule. President Rivlin decided not to give the mandate to another candidate, but to skip directly to the Knesset, you know, try to urge the sides, to push the sides together to make a decision. And I think the two next weeks are really crucial. And you should also keep in mind that they need to finish some really complicated legislation on the Knesset. And Avi Nissan-Cohen, which is again expected to be the next justice minister, is the one who is handling the, the, the Knesset committee and behind the scenes to promote this legislation, but he is not very experienced in the Knesset, in the legislative process. And Yesh uh, Atid, Yair Lapid, and Bogi Elon, who are part of Blue and White, are doing whatever they can to try and postpone this legislation. Uh, you know, in uh, long hours of debates and uh, in Israel it's called filibuster. It's a bit different than the American version of filibuster, but they are trying to do whatever they can to, you know, to postpone this process. Uh, so um, blue and white will need to prove in the next two weeks that they can deliver on that. Go ahead, Alan. You want to say what? Yeah, no, I just wanted to add that, uh, I mean, the Yair Lapid today threw a monkey wrench into this whole uh, process by promising that he would vote with Netanyahu uh, if uh, when the 18 months runs out of, of his uh, uh, position, because, you know, they agreed to a rotation uh, of those three years, so there'd be an 18 months for Netanyahu and then another, another 18 uh, for Gantz. But Yair Lapid today said that he would vote with Netanyahu to derail uh, this whole process of allowing Gantz to take over as prime minister and uh, basically um, rescinding all of this new legislation that would uh, would allow for that. So that if in 18 months time, uh, Netanyahu would want to prevent Gantz from, from taking over as prime minister, as I say today, Yair Lapid, said that he would vote with Netanyahu, with his arch rival Netanyahu, in order to prevent Gantz from becoming, from becoming prime minister. That's the level uh, of animosity that there now exists between these two former uh, partners who ran together in blue and white. Well, for everybody's sake, let's hope this will be resolved um, shortly. Um, this is all happening against the backdrop of the coronavirus. Um, and Israel has uh, not been spared like, like most countries. Um, it has been praised in, in many places for its uh, immediate attention to the problem, taking it seriously, uh, lockdowns, uh, very strict uh, uh, guidelines about social distancing and a gathering in public places, <clears throat> etc. cetera. Uh, but now it seems that with, with the flattening of the curve and uh, with the, the new data that's, that's coming out, Israel um, will, be, will be going back to work, as we say. We are experiencing here in the United States. It's a little bit differently, much larger country. We have 50 states, and some states the, um, the, the uh, virus has been more virulent than in other places. But in Israel, it seems that uh, there is now the opening of um, some retail, people going back. How is that working? Yeah. Uh, well... Uh, I can tell you from here that uh, uh, there we're actually before that actually happens, we're going into a, a, a lockdown situation during Independence Day. 
uh, actually also beginning tomorrow. So before uh, we really feel some of these things coming online, including the reopening of uh, uh, the school system, which will begin with the younger grades uh, and then hopefully progress to, to the, the older grades, we still have this these couple days of very intensive lockdown uh, because I think the prime minister wanted to make another push, you know, at social distancing during these days when, when usually people come together on Memorial Day and also um, Independence Day. So making one last push to keep people apart and keep the virus under control. After that, we'll we'll see the easing. They're already promising on Thursday, Friday that uh, people will be allowed uh, to um, travel distances in order to engage in, um, in some kind of physical fitness or physical activity outside uh, that I'm excited about. I can get back to my hiking, uh, hopefully. Uh, so uh, there's, there's a lot of promise also that the doomsday predictions did not come true. The need for thousands and thousands of uh, machines, uh, you know, breathing machines and, and, and other things that, that uh, did not come to fruition. Perhaps because uh, Israelis took the uh, regulations seriously and, uh, and, and we were able to, to prevent infection. So uh, we're, we're um, looking, uh, I, I think, towards a brighter uh, future as, as thing, things ease up. Uh, but of course, there's a lot of apprehension about how society will change in the long run, what businesses will not be able to reopen, how many people will remain unemployed of the more than a million people who are now unemployed is more than 25% of the workforce. So um, there's still, there's, there's light, seems to be light at the end of the tunnel, but still a very great apprehension. Yeah, Omri, you've seen it now from, from both sides. You see it from the Israeli side, and then you're here in the United States, here in Washington. Uh, covering uh, the coronavirus here. So what are your observations on this? I think that uh, Israel acted very forcefully and acted fast and measures that were seem maybe, you know, um, you know, pretty harsh a few weeks ago now really pay off when, when you see the, the curve in Israel is really like they were able to crash the curve in a few weeks, in a matter of a few weeks. And, um, you know, unlike the U.S., in uh, in Israel, there was actually enforcement of this lockdown. You could see cops on the street. You could see Mishmar um, on the street. And these are really pictures that we don't remember in the near past in Israel, seeing uh, the police on the street asking you, how far are you from your house? And if it's more than 100 meters, you could get a 500 shekel fine which again, for many people, sounds like a crazy idea a few weeks ago, but uh, when people took it seriously and stayed home for five or six or seven weeks, you can see now the Israeli economy on the way to reopen in the very near future. And again, you can also make the case that in the US, it's a different scale, it's 50 different states, and every state can make its own decision. So it's really different system. It's not very simple as in Israel. But the fact of the matter is that the public in Israel uh, took the directions very seriously. People did not play games. People listened to, to, to the guidelines and they practiced social distance. I know, you know, from my family, 
with my mom and my siblings not going to meet her for a few weeks. It was very hard for all of us. Also, we did the setter on Zoom and everything. But you can now really see that it pays off when, when it, we really hope that the peak is behind us. Well, we really hope so, uh, both here and in Israel and everywhere else, uh, that uh, curves will flatten and uh, cases will, uh, will go down and uh, we'll all be able to get back to our routines, but not until it's safe, of course. So it's, uh, but we have been watching uh, the Israeli example, which really has, uh, has been praised. And of course, we, um, you know, we're, we're also trying to do our best here. I mean, I see it uh, where I live. People are, I live in a large uh, a condominium building and um, people are very careful about social distancing, about getting in the elevator with other people, about congregating in the lobby, about, um, you know, uh, getting their food deliveries at a table outside and all of those things. And um, we hope that, as you've said, as in Israel, it will pay off and will pay off here as well. Well, just to just to clarify, I don't I don't think it's like a criticism about the U.S. system because it's different system with fifty different states. It's much harder to coordinate, and you know what what do you do when a person is crossing state lines and if someone lives in Virginia and he travels to Maryland or to D.C. It's it's way more complicated to enforce everything, whereas in Israel it's one state, you know, one police and everything. Um, so it's not a criticism about the U.S., but the fact of the matter is that Israel acted very fast. And Indeed. Well, thanks to you both, to Omri Nachmias of the Jerusalem Post and to our own Alan Schneider for joining me today. Uh, we'll, of course, continue to um, keep up on the progress uh, as Israel seeks to establish uh, a new government. Hope that we can call on you both in the near future, perhaps when the government is actually in place, uh, to talk about um, some of the important uh, personnel and to talk about its policies going forward. If you like what you've heard so far, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, benebrith.org, to learn about our work, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at B'nai B'rith. For my guests, Omri Nachmias and Alan Schneider, I'm your host, Dan Mariashin. We'll talk to you next time. Take care, everyone. <laughs>